0: So Lord, I thank you for Sarah. I pray that you would continue to anoint her and that you would rest over her. I get the image of you um, dancing over her and singing over her. You delight in her. And that's really, really cool that you do that. So speak through her this morning. Um, Help us to listen to what's being said. And not to trail off into our lists and things that we have going on this afternoon, but to honor this space and this time to hear from you, Jesus. I know that is the desire of her heart to hear from you, to speak what you give her. And so now may the words of her mouth and the meditations of her heart be pleasing unto you, first and foremost. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. you. Well, good morning. If you haven't had a chance to fill out the welcome pads, if you could do that and pass those down along with the sermon notes, and you will find the text for today on the back of your sermon notes. I am going to begin as we do by saying, the Lord be with you. As John said, we are in our second week in our series on Ruth, and we've called this series Lessons from the Journey. Last week, we looked at the Moab to Bethlehem. And it was a journey of hope for both of them. They were walking toward something better. And we saw how they clung to each other in grief and in loyalty and devotion. And we noticed Naomi being very authentic about her pain and her bitterness. And we saw her move forward by going back home. We were reminded that we're not meant to walk this journey alone, that we're meant to go it together. And that our journeys themselves have value, not just the destination. And we started today, we're starting where we left off last week, which was the end of chapter 1, a new beginning, the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest seems like something very mundane, very ordinary very regular, and yet it's about to become something completely unordinary, completely extraordinary for Ruth and Naomi. The harvest is about to become life for them. Their lives were beginning again. We're introduced to a man this week that's going to play a very important part in this story, and his name is Boaz. And I told the last service, I think he's the kind of guy that heroes in romance movies and Hallmark movies are made of. Like, the kind of guy you watch and think, yeah, nobody's that perfect. Boaz just seems to be this. He's kind, and he's affirming, and he's generous, and he's observant, and he's protective. And I do think Nicholas Sparks might have dreamed him up and placed him in our Bible. He's pretty remarkable. And we're going to learn today that he was a very real person, and he points us to the lover of our souls. He's meant to draw our eyes upward. Let's start by reading verses 1 through 3 of Ruth chapter 2. Again, you'll find the text on the back of your notes. who was of the clan of Elimelech. We're going to stop there for a moment. And this morning, we're just going to read a few verses at a time and talk about them and go back and forth. I love the way the NIV actually words this. It says that as Ruth went, it so happened that she found herself in the field of Boaz. This close relative of her late father-in-law, she was placed in his field by a divine hand. This wasn't known to her. It wasn't something she went out seeking or could have planned. It was completely beyond her control, but she's placed just at the right place at the right time so that God can fulfill his very good plans for her. I think she reminds us that God has goodness in store for our lives. Psalm 23.6 says God's goodness and love pursue us, or some versions say follow after us all the days of our lives. And I wonder if we really believe that, if we trust that his goodness is really and truly pursuing us, about to overtake us every single day. See, Ruth is about to know this very, very well, very intimately for herself. Let's look back at the text, verses 4 through 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. because here we learn something about his character. He greets his employees, the Lord be with you. Very similar, that's how we greet each other. And his employees reply back, the Lord bless you. What an encouraging place this must have been to work. Boaz blesses those who work for him. And I think this is important for us to see because it tells us that his character had been formed long before he meets Ruth. This is who he is. It's not as though he suddenly becomes generous and kind in order to impress this pretty young woman who finds herself in his field. The Bible shows us who he is. In verse 5, we see Boaz very aware of who works for him. He doesn't see them as a faceless group or simply numbers because he can tell there's somebody new there. He sees Ruth and he wants to know who she is. The overseer fills him in and then Boaz seeks her out. He goes to talk with her. And here's what he says, verses 8 through 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Again, we're going to stop there. Boaz is welcoming her in. He's about to make some pretty abundant provision for her, which we'll talk about in a moment. But first I want to note that he doesn't turn her away. She's not there asking for a job. She's asking to take. She's going to receive. She's going to glean. What, what is this concept of gleaning? Let's talk about it for a moment, because it's actually really central to the Mosaic law. We see it repeated over and over again, God's provision for two groups of people, the poor and the foreigner. Listen, Leviticus twenty-three, twenty-two. God instructs Israel this way. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. I love how these commands end. God just saying, this is how it is. This is who I am. I am generous and I provide, and this is what you're going to do. God not only wants the fields left this way, he wants the vineyards left this way. Listen to Leviticus 19.10. Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Again, notice, for the needy or the poor, for the alien or the stranger or the foreigner, same word, interchangeably used. Ruth is later going to express this deep appreciation for what Boaz is doing, and she points out she's a foreigner. Now, this is noteworthy because God had always made provision for foreigners who came into part of his people, who sought refuge in the land of Israel. And he had called Israel from the very beginning to be a missionary nation, to shine the light of the truth of the one true God to all the nations around them. And anybody who joined themselves to God was welcome. And yet Israel had often not done this well. And often they had ignored these very direct commands in the Mosaic law. Listen to Deuteronomy ten nineteen. God goes even further than requiring his people to give up gleanings from their grapes and their grain. This is what he tells his people to do. So show your love for the alien, For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Or Leviticus 19.34, God goes even further. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. And again, God ends this command by saying, I am the Lord your God. Now this was unique to Israel. If you were to read some of the codes of conduct of cultures in the ancient Near East, you would not find this there. This love for the stranger, this provision for the poor was to mark God's people as unique. We find Boaz fervently living out these laws even when the nation had not. Ruth is invited to come, join with his workers, pick up what's left. In fact, Boaz is later going to tell his workers to actually pull grain out from their bundles that they've harvested and leave them for her. He's going to ensure that she is provided for. He lets her know she can help herself to a drink whenever she needs it. And if that's not generous enough, then he makes sure that nobody harms her because as a young woman, a widow, a foreigner, she would have been very vulnerable to assault. Or many different types of harm. And so Boaz goes above and beyond and is living out this heart of God that God had required of his people but that they often had not done well. Ruth probably expected to just be invisible to whoever field she found herself in. She probably just expected to bring home a little grain. This was her taking initiative to provide for herself and her mother-in-law But the minimum isn't all God had for her. God had so much more in store. And I want us to think about our own lives when we think about this. Don't we often assume that we're just going to get by or things are going to be okay but not great or we don't expect God to lavishly care for us? Or maybe we just can't bring ourselves to believe that good can actually happen because we've been very used to living lives of sacrifice and even chaos, and we can't envision something else. Ruth's response to this lavishness, this provision, we see it in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Sometimes the only appropriate response to provision of this nature is to bow down to the ground and say, thank you. This is what Ruth does. And she asks the question again, why are you paying attention to me? Why would you do this? And I think sometimes we ask that same question, who am I? And do I deserve good things? We might subtly believe that a life of surrender to Jesus means perpetual misery. Or maybe our circumstances have been one way for so long, we just can't imagine another way, or we're not sure how to hope for something different. In this chaotic time in Israel, remember the setting. Boaz stands as an embodiment of God's provision, of God's intention toward us. Boaz is faithful, and he knows that he's part of a people called to bless. And so Ruth asks him, why are you doing this for me? And I love his reply, verses 11 through 12. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says, I've heard about you. Your reputation preceded you. I know the sacrifice that you have made that you have just left everything you knew to be loyal and to cling to and to provide for this woman. Who's not even your blood relative and you have found refuge under the wings of God and he is giving to you and I get to join him in giving back. See, Ruth was seen by Boaz. She was gloriously, deeply, joyfully seen. And I would imagine in a group this size, there are some of us who yearn a bit when we hear that. We've been aching for that kind of soul embrace, for somebody to put their arms around our very heart and say, I see, and I know, and I'm here. And often we're looking for a person to do this, and that's not wrong. We're meant to fill needs for each other. We need to start seeing each other, but I want to lift our eyes a little higher to the one that Boaz points us to. See, one of the names of God revealed in the Old Testament is Elroy, or the one who sees me. And God has been revealed that way starting back in Genesis 16, where he appears to another foreign woman named Hagar. She's from Egypt and she's a slave. She's a slave to Sarai, Abraham's wife, and Sarai is convinced that God cannot fulfill his promise to give her a son, and so Hagar being her property, she hands her to Abraham and says, you two make a child together. Hagar starts to resent Sarai throughout her pregnancy. Sarai detects this, mistreats her, and Hagar flees, and we find her in Genesis 16 in a desert. She's cast out. She's without a home. She has no hope. And yet she discovers something that changes her life. She discovers that God sees her. In this story, the angel of the Lord comes to meet with Hagar. And many scholars believe that when the angel of the Lord is referred to throughout the Old Testament, that this is actually a Christophany or a picture of Jesus before he comes to earth in his earthly ministry. And so we find God through himself to her. Hagar does something that's actually really powerful. She names God. This Egyptian slave woman names God. To name something is to know it. And she says this in verse 13. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. This is what I desire for us in these four weeks in the book of Ruth, that we would see the one who sees us a bit more clearly. See, Ruth and Hagar aren't very far apart. Both women had inherited lots in life they didn't want. They hadn't sought these lives out. They find themselves in a foreign place at the mercy of others. And God sees them, and he finds them, and they actually become a part of his vital plan for his people. I see them, God says. And Boaz saw He's meant to point us to Jesus in many ways. In fact, next week we'll look at one way he points us to Jesus, which is in this idea of a kinsman redeemer or the goel. But today I want us to focus on how he shows us God's provision and the way God sees. There are many things in our lives that we do for others that we think nobody else can holding sick babies or maybe it's hours beside a hospital bed with somebody that we love or maybe it's a relentless caregiving of a disabled child or elderly parents, and nobody sees it, so we think. God sees. I want you to remember that. I want you to know that God knows. There are moments when we all go through dark nights of our soul, and others might be shocked to learn about it, but God is with us there in the darkness. When we feel blinded by it, he sees through that darkness, and he knows where we are and what we face. He sees. There are other moments when we refuse a temptation and we reach out for truth and integrity against everything we want. And there is nobody to applaud us and no one can see the internal battle going on, but God sees and he knows and he is proud of us. There are generational curses and unhealthy patterns from our families of origin that we are determined to break and nobody can really see how we seek to live differently from what we saw, or how intentionally we do what we do, how carefully we think about our lives. But God sees, and He knows, and He's cheering us on. He is Elroy, the one who sees me. I want you to hear what God says to His people in Zephaniah 3. He's speaking to an exiled people, actually, in Zephaniah to people who had walked away from him, who hadn't earned any bit of his favor. And yet, listen to what God says as he promises to restore them. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. The context, again, is God speaking to an exiled people, but I want you to hear the principles which definitely apply to us. God is saying that he delights in his people that he rejoices over them, that he even sings over them, that he promises to rescue and to gather and to bring home and to restore. This is the type of abundance Ruth and Naomi are moving into. I think abundance often comes in unexpected ways, and we have to have our eyes open to it because it's all around us, and yet we might miss it. Ruth and Naomi didn't miss it. really love that the text repeats twice, that she had eaten, she had received until she was satisfied, and then there was more left over. And I think that's God's heart for us. He wants us not just to have the minimum, but to fill us up and for there to be more. More that we're walking toward, more that we're yearning for. And I wonder if maybe you've experienced that. Perhaps at some point in your life, you found yourself in a place that was so ripe with provision that you could hardly believe it. You see the divine intervention. You see that God has ordained something and that you're exactly where you need to be. And that very winding, very tumultuous road has led you right there, yourself in this place. And it is astonishingly good. And it is about to get even better. Now, this takes Naomi completely by surprise. Remember, this is the woman just one chapter back who declared her life bitter, and it was. Here's what Naomi says, verses 19 through 23. And her mother-in-law said to her, "'Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? "'Blessed be the man who took notice of you.' "'So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, "'the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz.'" And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi, the one who had declared her life bitter, the one who said God had brought this misfortune on her, now is astonished by the provision she sees. She can't believe how much Ruth has brought home. And then she learns it's not just anybody's field that Ruth has been brought to, it's somebody who can actually provide a future and hope for them. Remember, at the end of Ruth, we looked ahead last week, and we saw where this journey would end, and that is that sustenance would come to Naomi, that her life would be renewed is what the text says. And I want us to think about that for ourselves. Do we believe that about our own lives, that our lives will be renewed, that we will be sustained, that God has this for us in the future? I want us to look at Ruth and Naomi and to take heart, to feel a new hope rising up in us today. See, Ruth's journey led her to this abundance of provision. The joy of this destination in no way canceled out the pain of getting there. But that very painful path had led her to exactly this place, preparing her for provision. And as I said, more is coming. The story just keeps getting better for Ruth and Naomi. So today I close by encouraging us to look to who Boaz points us to, this lover of our souls, to listen to that protective, generous voice of God who says, I see and I know and I want to give you good gifts and I will take care of you. And like Ruth, perhaps we find ourselves on our faces simply saying thank you. I don't know what I've done, haven't really done anything to earn it, but I just receive. I wanna also give you three things to think about as you sit with this for the remainder of the service. And we have three questions for reflection that you'll see on the screen and that are in your notes. Thinking about how you need to experience this God who sees. The first question I want you to sit with is to answer, what is it you need to know that God sees? Maybe you've never considered it before. Maybe it's a past hurt. Maybe it's something that somebody did. Maybe it's something you did or a sacrifice you made. What is it you need to know he sees? The second, is there something in your life maybe you've just expected a minimum from, but God might wanna bring an abundance to? Learn from Ruth and Naomi's story, he has more. And third, Do you believe your life will actually be sustained and renewed? That that is what is in your future, that that is God's promise to you. I'd like to close us in prayer and just I'd also invite the worship team to come and lead us as we respond. Jesus, we thank you that Boaz points us to you, the one who sees, the one who knows. And I pray that you would move in our hearts to be able to answer these questions where we need to know that you see. We thank you that you have good in store for us, that sustaining us and renewing us is your heart and your plan. And so would you lead us there? In Jesus' name, amen.